Welcome to Season 6 of the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. This season of the podcast is devoted to the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus teaches His people about life in the Kingdom of God. Every passage in the whole Bible teaches something that you need to know. All of the Bible is still in force, all of it is applicable, and all of it was fulfilled by Jesus, but not fulfilled in the same way. There's two different kinds. There's what Jesus called the weightier matters of law, and then the shadow laws. And the shadow kind of laws were fulfilled in such a way that they're no longer binding on us today. The principles taught by those shadow laws are still very much in force, but the laws themselves do not regulate our behavior today like they did then, That's the outcome of the way that Jesus fulfilled the shadow laws. That brings us to that other part of the law, the weightier matters of the law. The moral law. Things like love and faithfulness and justice and mercy. In what way did Jesus fulfill that part of the law? And why, if he fulfilled it, he fulfilled other stuff so it's it's no longer binding on us. He fulfilled this in a way that makes it binding. Why? How did he fulfill this in a different way? Well, to begin with, Jesus fulfilled the weightier matters of the law by perfectly obeying every last one of them in his life. He, he always, Jesus Christ, always loved God the Father with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Always. He never, ever lied. He never stole, never looked with lust, never once. Never, he was never selfish, never greedy. He never preferred anything over nearness to the Father. He never loved the world or the things in the world. He never worried, not once. He was never apathetic. He was never lazy. He always trusted the Father perfectly. He lived an absolutely perfect life, flawless righteousness. But he didn't just live a life of perfect righteousness. He lived out perfect righteousness for us on our behalf so that his perfect record could be credited to our account. Because we can't pull that off. And we need a perfect record to get into heaven. So when he did that, there's one part of the law that really, he actually, really did get abolished. I mean, abolished, abolished. There's one part of the Old Testament law that is utterly, completely overturned, destroyed, eliminated, done away with forever. And that is the part of the law described in Colossians 2.13 and 14. It says, He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. Now that written code, that phrase written code, that's a term that speaks of a document that was a record of debts. That was their word back then for a record of debts. The moral law stood like a, a record of our moral debts to God. And Jesus nailed that record of debts to the cross and then said, Tetelestai, it is finished, paid in full. So the one part of the law that really was abolished forever, done away with, is the condemning ministry of the law. The condemnation of the law. We are no longer condemned because Jesus took our condemnation on himself and paid the penalty in our place in full and then he credited his perfect righteousness to our account. 
And understanding that will help us understand the question of why the moral law is still binding, even though the shadow laws are not. Think for a second about what's the purpose of the moral law. Why did God give us that? What was his intention? Romans 7.10 gives us a clue. It says the commandment was intended for life. For life. The purpose of God's moral law is to reveal to us the way of life. Spiritual, eternal life. The whole book of Deuteronomy is God giving His laws to the people. And at the end of that book, He says this, chapter 30, verse 19, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. God's law is the way to life. It shows us the way to life. Leviticus 18.5 Keep my decrees and laws for the man who obeys them will live by them. So the law says, see, that's the way of life. Get on the, that's the path that goes to life. Get on it. Get on it. Stay on it. Sometimes people think the only purpose of the moral law was the condemning ministry. God gave us the law to condemn us and then drive us to Christ in desperation so we'll seek grace and forgiveness. That's part of the purpose, but that's not the only purpose. It also had the purpose of pointing to the way of life. The problem is, that purpose was not realized because of a problem internal to us, a a problem called sin. Sin thwarted that purpose. Uh, Romans 7.10, I found, Paul says, that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So the moral law put him to death in the sense that it revealed to him how dead he really was. Paul saw these requirements, tried to live them out, found himself utterly incapable of doing so, and that condemned him. But then the law, then it goes on to say that that, the, the real problem here wasn't the law, but sin. The law does point to life. It really does. Just obey these commands and you'll have life. And I say, okay, sounds good. Here I go. And clunk, I find that I'm chained. And I got this ball and chain and I, and, and, and that's holding me from, keeping me from getting on that path that goes to life. And what that ball? What is that ball and chain that's, that's got me stuck here? It is the evil inclination of my heart that keeps me from stepping onto that path and obeying that law. The law can show me life, but I can't do anything. The law can't do anything about the problem of this ball and chain. The law can't do anything to change the problem of this my big problem, my really big problem, which is having a heart that's inclined toward breaking the law. It's just determined not to get on that path. The law can show me the path. It can't do anything about the problem in my heart. I mean, if there's a street sign that points me in the right direction, that sign is great, but what good is that sign if I have a heart that's determined to go the opposite way that the sign points? What I need is not just the law pointing me in the right direction. What I, I don't just need the street sign. What I need is something that has the power to break this chain. And to transform my heart so that my heart stops saying, no, I don't want to obey God, and starts saying, yeah, I do want to obey God. What is it in my heart that's so inclined to break the law? 
Well, Paul calls it the flesh. Romans 8.3 For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the flesh, God did. That's a great line, isn't it? What the law was powerless to do. I mean, it couldn't do anything about this problem, this messed up thing in my heart that's inclined the wrong way. What the law couldn't do, God did. God did it by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirement of the law... Now get this. You're not going to believe this. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. You believe that? Is it in the Bible? The righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. The law was powerless to break that chain, transform that perverted heart that was inclined the wrong way. But now the law, what the law was powerless to do, God did. How did He do it? By sending His Son as a sin offering. He sent the Son to come and fulfill the law in such a way that that chain is shattered and now I am free to live by the Spirit and obey God. Incredible. Jesus fulfilled the moral law not just by obeying it, but by enabling us to obey it. But before all that can happen, something else has to happen. Before my heart can be transformed, it has to be broken. Because remember, only the poor in spirit can enter the kingdom of God. Just the poor in spirit. Only the humble. The people who think that they're righteous in themselves can't get in. They, don't, they, can't, get, they can't get forgiveness. The people who think that they uh, are righteous are, are out, shut out. So... I need something to come along and show me how dead I really am and condemn me so that I can come to Christ empty-handed, which is the only way you can come to Christ. And so God's law is just the ticket for that. It's just the thing for that. In our pride, we have the illusion that we are righteous and that we're basically good people and we want to come to God with our hands full and we got all this stuff to offer God and offer Him all our wonderful goodness and everything else and, and, and thinking how lucky God is to have us and everything. And as long as we're under that kind of insanity, we can never approach God. We're shut out. And so God gives us the law to show us that what righteousness actually is. And we take one look at that, at that standard and we think, oh, this nice squeaky clean heart that I thought I had is in fact, filthy and rancid and rebellious against God and deserves to die. And then we get desperate enough to come to God totally empty-handed and beg for mercy and forgiveness. And when we do that, He gives us life, which is the purpose of the law. Someone comes along and tells you, look, we're not under the law, we're under grace, and so you don't have to obey the moral law. Not even the moral law. You don't have to obey any law now. We're under grace. We're under grace. Somebody comes along and tries to tell you that. Ask them, are you telling me that Jesus died on the cross so that we could be unrighteous? I mean, just think about that. The answer to that question is no. Jesus did not die on the cross in order to make it so we can be unrighteous. Just the opposite. He died on the cross to make us righteous. Titus 2.11 The grace of God. The grace the grace that brings us salvation teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify for himself a people of God who are his very own, 
eager to do what is good. Not inclined to break the law, but eager to follow the law. He died to make us righteous, to make us law keepers. The weightier matters of the law were fulfilled in that way, and that's why those parts of the law are still binding on us today, because he he fulfilled the purpose of those is to make us righteous, and so he fulfilled them by making us law keepers. So are the weightier matters of the law still binding on us today? Absolutely they're still binding on us today. We're never at liberty to disobey God and be unholy. And sometimes people will say, Well yeah, you're supposed to be righteous, but but you don't achieve that through trying. You don't you don't you don't do that through effort. You achieve it by just resting and relying on the Spirit, not through effort. And that teaching comes from a complete misunderstanding of what relying on the Spirit actually means. Yes, we achieve righteousness only by relying on the Holy Spirit, but that is not opposed to effort. Just the opposite. The way the Holy Spirit works in you is by generating effort. Philippians 2.13, it is God who works in you to do what? To will and to act. When God works in you, it results in effort and hard work. 1 Corinthians 15.10, His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Grace produces hard work. The reason the moral law is still binding on us today is simply this. Jesus fulfilled the purpose of the moral law by keeping it himself and by creating a whole society of law keepers. Thank you for listening. We pray that in this series your life will be transformed by the soaring ethics, deep insights, and glorious promises of the Sermon on the Mount. We are crowdfunded ministry, so if you would like this podcast to continue, please consider supporting us with a tax-deductible gift. Just go to treasuringgod.com and click on Give. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.